and welcome to a new episode of Voices and Queries, the VNQ Books podcast. We publish remarkable writing from Germany, which means outstanding books originally written in German, but also in other languages spoken here in the country. And our podcast is where we talk to our brilliant writers and translators about their work, their passions and pains, and of course their books. I'm Katie Derbyshire, publisher at VNQ Books. I'm talking today to the translator Mima Simic, who's also a writer, a film critic, and a musician, and a TV presenter, and basically an all-round phenomenon of LGBTIQ plus activism. We're very lucky that she found the time to craft the amazing English version of Ivana Zajko's love novel, the first book VNQ has published in translation from Croatian. It's a furious reckoning with the impossibility of the nuclear family, written in these terrifyingly long sentences, and I'm really impressed by Mima's gorgeous translation. Mima's in the States right now, so I'm sending a huge hello to Echo Park. So paint us a little picture of where you're speaking from, Mima. I'm speaking from a fortress of pillows so this uh, <laughs> podcast can work out, but otherwise I'm in uh, Los Angeles in Echo Park and there's a lot of sounds happening out there and if it was evening we would probably be joined by Coyote. Uh, so, <laughs> right, yes, it's, a, it's a, I mean, I like actually spending my uh, European winters in uh, California. I think that's, if I, you know, I would recommend it to everybody because you know how Berlin it is. It's in, you know, wintertime, it's very depressing and I'm already too depressed as is. So I kind of uh, just uh, migrate to the warmer climates in winter. You know, just come visit me next time where we Aww. do this, uh, be on this side of the ocean. <laughs> we do it in person. Yeah. Oh. Um, let's start by talking about your relationship to the book's author, Ivana Zajko. You've known each other for years, right? Well, you know, Croatian uh, literary and cultural scene is so small that you, you know, everybody's your family, even if you haven't met them, you know everything about them, you know, but there are a lot of advantages to it because uh, a lot of brilliant writers are very accessible, you know, you yeah. can go over and strike up a conversation, actually, so I've known, I had known about Ivana for many years, uh, she was, uh, you know, like her reputation was very fearsome and formidable, you know, and I was, uh, I've known her uh, mostly as a playwright, so right. she kicked ass, you know, she's a yes. terribly successful. And then I went to a reading from a love novel. I heard her read an excerpt and I was like, okay, she's an amazing, uh, you know, novelist also. Yeah. And then because she was moving, uh, she got this major scholarship to be in Berlin. So, and I was already living in Berlin. And then I said, let's hang out when you're there. I, I mustered up the courage to approach this uh, literary uh, major figure. And so we started hanging out actually in Berlin. I translated a few short pieces uh, for her and she liked my translations. And yeah. so when, when Love, Love Novel got a chance to be translated into English, she approached me and I was like, I was so honored. And I was also very afraid, as they Aww. say, be afraid, be very afraid. But uh, <laughs> here we are. Here we are. And you've done a magnificent job. You've also translated uh, Miranda July and Patricia Highsmith into Croatian and, and two other Croatian writers into English. Can you just give us a quick outline of those Croatian books that you did? Well, before I had translated like a, a journalist, it was a mostly political journalism, right. nonfiction kind of stuff. And also I had translated uh, 
children's books, uh, illustrated books. Uh, so, and I have translated like hundreds of films actually from uh, Croatian into English and TV shows. So I'm also a film critic. So it's really interesting when you shift from different genres and formats, you know, like in, in literature, you try to save whatever you can save uh, in translation. But actually when you translate films, you often have to sacrifice a lot so it fits right. the subtitles, so it doesn't confuse people, so you, they can focus on the on the image. And it's also, you know, when you work with illustrations, when you're doing animated films, it's also a different kind of thinking about language, how it fits with the picture. So um, it's very challenging, and but it's also very stimulating for a translator, you know. Of course, every book always is a new thing, but this is also like how it fits with the different uh, uh, factors. Yeah. I agree that translation is different every time, depending on the context or the material or the, the form. Absolutely. Um, so Patricia Highsmith has been dead for a few years and I'm... You don't say. Yeah, so I hear. Oh, God. She never let me know. Okay. <laughs> you weren't on her Christmas card list. I believe her list was very short. Um, and so I'm guessing as well that you're maybe not like super best pals with Miranda July? She never returns my calls. Oh. I don't know what's up with that. Oh. So knowing Ivana so well, does that help when you know the writer or does it, did it make you more cautious about what you were doing? Well, in a way, because Ivana's English is so good, I knew that I could always go ahead if I was confused about something or if I needed some kind of a backup, I could go over and, and speak to her, which I did. And it was amazing yeah. to have you as an editor because like, we could all oh. work with it. Uh, so, so thank you very much. Uh, but uh, I think in this particular case, I mean, when I was obviously, when I was translating Miranda July or Patricia Highsmith, I mean, like it wasn't even a concern of mine. But here I really wanted to do like perfect justice. Of course, there is no such thing, unfortunately, in translation or in, nah. in world at large. But uh, it was really great to have Ivana because she's so amazing and she knows exactly what she wants, which is, yeah. you know, for, for me, I'm like, this is a perfect partner. You know, she could accept the solution or she could reject it. She said, like, can we try with this? So it was um, very gratifying for me. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It was fascinating for me to watch from a distance that back and forth as I saw it on the kind of translation in progress. Yeah. But in fact, let's let's hear a little section so everyone knows what on earth we're talking about here. I will now do my best to read. No one knows what it's like for her. No one knows because no one bothers to ask. And this creates in her an unhealthy habit of confiding in objects, dirty dishes, wardrobe shelves, whatever's available. And so it's no wonder she feels misunderstood. This could make her ill. And that's the last thing she needs. That's probably why she's now climbing the stairs to the third floor, slowly. She's put on a dress, put up her hair, and applied lipstick. Her child is clinging onto a loose curl that was supposed to be dangling charmingly from her bun, the other hand trying to reach the light switches in the staircase. She whispers to be polite when they get to the neighbor's place, not to touch the switches there, not to stick any fingers in the sockets, not to pull on the tablecloth, not to open the drawers, not to get under the neighbor's feet, and so on. Otherwise, the neighbor will never invite them over again. Even though, truth be told, she doesn't really give a fuck about that. Because mommy hates Easter. She finds Jesus annoying, yet she has no better company, she says softly, and the child giggles into her ear, just like those dirty plates do, and the knickers in the wardrobe, as if understanding that she's uttered another of her contradictory statements. 
but she herself knows exactly what she means by it, since she spent the whole day thinking about how stupid it would be to decline the coffee invitation and stayed home in front of the dumb wardrobe trying to explain to it what she couldn't even explain to the neighbor, namely that Jesus is neither the first nor the last to have been abandoned by God, friends and fortune, just as he's neither the first nor the last to suffer unbearably, but he certainly was the only one who managed to profit from it, because, objectively speaking, there are countless others like him out there, abandoned and crucified, biting the dust for the common good, a better future, or at least the future of their own children, waiting for mercy that's late or never coming, digging into their purses to find nothing but small change, and then they turn to God and ask him why he has robbed them, naively wondering why he is not responding, as if they can't seem to come to terms with the fact that they're neither the first nor the last, nor particularly original, and that suffering and empty wallets are a dime a dozen, and that their woes are as common as boredom, that the crosses on their backs are made of tin and plywood, whereas Jesus' cross is oak or marble and thus worth more. And they can bleed until the cows come home, still they won't earn sympathy, let alone get an Easter arrangement or their own little chapel. She could never explain this to him, you see, because the neighbor's heart is too small to have room for more than one Jesus. Much like hers, really. Thank you, Mima. Thank you so much. What a great reading. Uh, you'll have noticed, listeners out there, that Ivana's sentences can be a little on the long side. How did you deal with that, Mima, in your translation? I dealt even worse than when I was reading it. Uh, (laughs) No, I mean, seriously, uh, this was really, really interesting for me uh, because um, when I first read the book and it was after I heard Ivana uh, read an excerpt and I was really delighted. So it was many years ago when the book first came out. I basically read it in a single breath because it is written to be read in a single breath. Yeah. However, when you get down to translating it, you realize that it is not going to be translated in a single breath for sure. No. <laughs> be- because these snakes of sentences, they just drive, they just go on and on. And it's a huge challenge to follow the thought in a different language, you know, and to kind of bend with the grammar and bend yeah. with, the, with the meaning and the cultural context. I mean, it, it is pro- probably my greatest accomplishment in life. <laughs> <laughs> No, but but seriously, I mean, it's uh, only when I started translating it and when I realized how long it's going to take me because I was really wrestling those snakes like Hercules, I realized how much precision, how much thought was actually put into this book to make it seem so easy. And this is a beauty. I mean, this is the, the real truth of art is like when it feels so easy and when you start scratching at it and you realize how much work and how much effort has been put in it. So this is like amazing. Yeah, I'm so impressed by all the work and effort that you put into it all over again to give us this beautiful English version. We heard in that little section that there's a she and there's also a he and there's a, there's a little child, a baby. So uh, <laughs> while we were working on the editing and the translation there was one thing that just kept us really busy for for what felt like months was was the issue of the child and 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 because Croatian has gendered nouns like French and German and the the child is is gender neutral and because none of the characters have a name when I first read it in German which has the same grammar in that respect I simply did not know whether this child was a 
a boy or a girl or what, you know. Could you walk us through what we did there? Well, I mean, first I'm going to just give a wider kind of context because uh, gender mm. uh, has been my kind of focus of interest for many years. I mean, I have a degree in uh, in gender studies and I have always as a reader and a writer, I'm also a little bit of a writer, have been acutely aware of the importance of gender in the wider life, obviously, and in texts. Yeah. So I remember, I mean, there was a very telling um, uh, episode, like some, I'd say 15 years ago, I was um, at a reading in, in Zagreb in, uh, at a European Short uh, Story Festival. And uh, there was, a, I think it was a Scottish writer, I don't, uh, maybe Irish or Scottish. And uh, she was reading this uh, short story that was only written in a dialogue. So you had just, uh, you know, exchange, dialogue exchange. And there yeah. was a translation uh, projected on screen, creation translation. And as I was listening to her, I realized that these characters were not gendered. So, you know, like there was a, two persons yeah. who were obviously in a relationship, but you couldn't tell. And yeah. when I looked at the translation on screen, it was heterosexualized. So the, the translator just decided that this yeah. couple is a straight couple. And me yeah. as a lesbian and also somebody who's like, you know, an activist also, I was so appalled. And I know that like it wasn't like a bad translation and it's translating whatever the, the, the meaning yeah. of what they were saying. But you lose a whole terribly important layer. And I had a, a, had a very similar experience as a writer. I wrote um, this short story uh, that was some years ago even included in, a, in an anthology of best uh, European uh, short story in the US. So I wrote it in English. Great. And my point yeah. of the story was that the narrator was not gendered. So you actually, as a reader, obviously, you know, you project your stuff on it. But I wanted mm. to leave this space of projection as wide as possible. However, somebody yeah. on the US side, and this was like so shocking to me, added three words into my sentence. So the, the sentence was like, uh, my girlfriend likes to flirt. And that was it. And they added, yeah. my girlfriend likes to flirt with other men. Like, I mean, this was like, oh. this was, I was so pissed off. Oh, no, no. Yeah, it's devastating. And it was like, it completely changed my story. I went crazy. And yeah. it, the, the, the story, nobody ever consulted me. The story was published like this. The oh. anthology went out. And instead of being very proud, because my story was included in this very important anthology, edited by Alexander Hemon, which is one of the greatest uh, uh, yeah. writers from the post-Yugoslav region. So, you know, I had this, like, terrible shock. So what I'm trying to say is, like, I know what how badly it can go when, when gender is tampered yeah. with and when you have people who are so anxious to know the gender that they want to, you know, like, yeah. fix it there so it doesn't confuse the reader. And But sometimes, you know, confusion is what we need in order to understand what, yes, what our own prejudices and stereotypes are. So coming to, to even a story, of course... It was really important in her book that the child was sort of, you know, neutral gender because the child needed to stay somehow outside of the, you know, this this woman in the in the story, in the novel. I'm not going to reveal anything in particular, but, you know, this child <laughs> needs to be kind of genderless in order to be also part of the burden of her life somehow, you know, and it's mm. and the, but the problem with this <laughs> fucking creation language, you cannot, you can really <laughs> uh, 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 leave it there. And then in English, you cannot, I mean, we have managed to avoid it and like shift it and like, yeah. and work with it. And then we came to the, the chapter 10. And now I think it's also like I was reading Umberto Eco and what he talks about, you know, when he talks about translation and how it's like interpretation of text and, and everything. So sometimes the translation can add 
more meanings sometimes it can take away depending on like how you yeah. how you work with it and actually i think this gender reveal party that we have in the in the we yeah, had we to had, do it. we had to yeah. do it but with even as consent obviously and i think what we yeah. did with this was also we added to the novel something that the original novel would not reject you know what i mean so we reveal mm-hmm. i mean i don't know if we should talk but i'll i'll say it no, okay. let's not. Okay. Let's not okay. reveal. But yes. Now? Okay, let's not reveal it now. <laughs> but I think it added a different kind of burden into the story that is aligned with her yeah. previous burdens. So I think it yeah. really worked well. But we were really suffering. We were going back and forth. I, I mean, like I wanted to, to get rid of the child altogether. You know, <laughs> just <laughs> <laughs> let's not deal with it. But uh, but let's make it a fish. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. So that was the actually, I mean, apart from the serpentine sentences, uh, the, the child yeah. was the biggest problem. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it was a big yeah. challenge. I mean, it did. It's also made me think that that our, in, in the English language or, the, or in Anglophone culture, our horrific obsession with, with the gender of our children, even before they're born, is a burden in itself. Yeah. Yes. And what I, what I love about English, I mean, on the other hand, is that you can really, when you speak from a first person, you can be anything. You you can play with this. But creation, every time you speak as an right. I, you cannot do it. And even now, you know, we have the, we are trying to uh, introduce the kind of what English has as in they, them, to refer to non-binary yeah. people. But it's very different because we don't have this history of using they, them as, a, as a, some kind of a yeah. plurality that also refers to a single person. And uh, it's a struggle. I mean, it's a political struggle uh, within language. And, you know, also, it's really yeah. interesting because, like, Croatian and Serbian, which are basically very, you know, like, same languages, if you ask me, but uh, uh, you, I could get in trouble for saying this also in my country and in <laughs> Serbia also. But, uh, but what happened in Croatian, and it didn't happen in Serbian over the past 20 years, Croatia had really activist endeavors to have, like, female version of nouns like for a journalist in in uh, in, uh, yeah. in Serbian you have a male pronoun that refers to women also and we have fought for this mm. in order to kind of establish this presence in language too uh, uh, so I think this is a really a constant struggle very dynamic and I think uh, I mean I'm always excited I'm following everything because obviously it's going to affect my translation and my writing and everything yeah of yeah. course but I also as a translator myself I also see that we have a certain amount of agency to to influence the course of those developments and to you know use new grammatical forms and to to really stretch the language and to bring in things into English or from English into Croatian or whatever that we take from the the source language and we just gift it to to our uh, uh, target languages and say okay this we're going to just make English a little richer and but and... mostly it, mostly it's English enriching other languages it's <laughs> it's <laughs> it's less so common that it goes the other way but yeah 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 I try I try <laughs> to do it the other way kudos um, Katie <laughs> so let me just ask you one last question is there anything you can pinpoint that you love the most about love novel even after you kind of struggled and battled with it for so long? I think this novel, I mean, it's going to sound a little bit sentimental, but I think this novel has definitely made me a better reader, a better translator and a better writer. I mean, and this is like uh, what I'm taking away from it. Uh, I I mean, I admire Ivana's precision and her obsessiveness. And I think I like that yeah. as a writer and it was very inspiring yeah. 
What happened to me, like, for instance, I, I mean, referring to the novel, I was translating it amid uh, a terrible pandemic uh, period. I mean, we're still in it, but like it was the, 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 the first hit of it. And uh, the, the pandemic itself kind of triggered my PTSD from the war because it's my background. Yeah. And then this is also a love novel is a novel about the personal war. I mean, it's like a kind of a nuclear family war. And I also have a decent amount of that in my background. So I could relate to this uh, text in a very personal way. And uh, I was, you know, how they have trigger warnings <laughs> with books now. It was like I was triggered a lot. And in a good way. I mean, I, I don't mind being triggered, really, because it makes you, you know, kind of deal with things and face them. And I also started therapy, you know, like, uh, no, but 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 seriously, I think uh, the, the book poses very important questions, obviously, not only of people, you know, with a similar background, but it's, uh, I mean, family, nuclear family and the struggle of it and the, 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 yeah. the how, how it is, how economy actually affects all our personal and intimate relationships is a yeah. terribly pertinent question. I mean, like I'm in the US, you know, this here is the, the fucking nuclear, you know, war, class yeah. war, you know what I mean? So uh, this is, I think my, really, I, I feel like a better person after having uh, done this. So uh, I hope Ivana will uh, ask me to do more of uh, her stuff. And pay for my therapy also. Wow. You know. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> ah, fabulous. All I have left to say is help Ivana to pay for me my therapy by buying the book. Yay. And also check out our website, vq-books.eu. Watch out for more episodes there or wherever you source your podcasts. And look us up on social media. Our handle is VQ Books because you can't do an ampersand on social media. Many, many thanks to Mima Simic for the fabulous conversation. To our wonderful producer, Susan Stone, for recording, producing and editing. And to Andy Sire for our theme tune. If you haven't heard our previous episodes, do seek them out. We have an interview with the author of Love Novel, Ivana Psycho, and with lots of our other writers and translators. Thank you for listening. I'm Katie Derbyshire. This podcast was co-funded by the European Union's Creative Europe Programme. Yay! We finished! <laughs>